hypocrisy fails, we'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 in the scriptures this evening. A little illustration for you. Hypocrisy fails to aid others. Jim Corley met his friend Alex at the dealership where Alex worked. Jim, I feel like a hypocrite every time I go to church because I fail to live for Christ so often. Alex, what do you call this part of the dealership? Jim asked, nodding to the area outside of his cubicle. You mean the showroom? Yes. And what's behind the showroom? Past the parts counter? The service part. The service department, Alex said confidently. What if I told you I didn't want to bring my car to the service department because it was running rough, Jim asked. That'd be crazy. That's the whole point of service departments, to fix cars that aren't running right. You're absolutely right, Jim replied. Now let's get back to our initial conversation. Instead of thinking of church as a showroom where image is everything, start thinking of it as God's service department. Helping people get back in running order with God is what the church is all about. End quotes. I thought that was quite appropriate. As you think about it, oftentimes we're so considerate of thinking, you know, I'm not good enough for church, and, and that's a lie of the devil. None of us are good enough for church, and if we ever want a perfect church, uh, then I don't want to enter it, right? Because I'm not perfect, and as soon as I enter the church, I will make it imperfect. But thankfully, the Lord has, has it as a place that will put us back into running order, and that's the goal. Here in Matthew chapter 6 tonight, uh, verses 1 through 6, continuing our study here in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> verse, chapters 5 through 7, verse 1 of Matthew 6, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. That they may be seen of men, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly." We also look at verse 16, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. So much of what is done for Christ in churches is merely a spectacle of gloating and pride. We come to church uh, trying to be some super spiritual individual or how we want others to, appear, uh, to perceive of us. But on numerous occasions, Christ gave his servants a warning about lifestyles. And I spoke about those lifestyles uh, and those warnings last week. But the particular warning here is of self-glory. When I'm coming to church and I'm doing things for God, I'm not doing it to bring attention to myself. I'm doing it to bring God the glory and help other people look at God and give him the praises. This heeding Christ calls us to is to fight the giant of pride in our lives. Look at me. The egotistical, I'm my best person, right? That idea. And uh, this giant of pride, it seeks to envelop our hearts and our minds. In Psalm 10:4, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And pride is simply where I'm putting God aside for doing it my own way, and I'm the master of my own destiny. But the Bible tells us, as we discussed and we've discussed before, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink, 
or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, Jesus' intention here at the Sermon on the Mount, as I've mentioned multiple times before, is on discipleship. Discipleship is how do I How am I to follow Christ? How am I to be a follower of Jesus? What am I to do with my life? And so here in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving his disciples instruction of how to be successful. But also not only successful, but how to be protected. Just as a good parent would want to warn their child of certain things to be aware of. He's saying here, here's some things I want you to be aware of because I love you. One of the things, though, that happens in life so often is that pride resists authority. And it thinks it's too good to listen to what others may have to say. We spoke about almsgiving here, the idea of giving uh, for others and the charitable work and uh, those sorts of things. A prayer. I'm not praying just so uh, that you can think uh, how great I am. Or you're not praying just so people can think how great you are. My prayer is between the Father and myself. Now, one of the dangers of hypocrisy, and one of the things we ought to do, is check our motives as to their authenticity and the desired response. And uh, we ought to do it, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing. When I'm mentioning certain things as I'm doing these, I ought to check my motives. Am I doing it so that people would look at me and say, wow? Or am I doing it so that people would look at God and say, okay? Here's a person who's following the Lord. There's, there's a difference in the mindset as we do it. And so that's something we have to constantly be on guard for. The danger of hypocrisy is that we can go through the whole cycle of going to church and reading our Bible, and we can just go play the game. I mean, in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, look with me here, a little bit of uh, picking up, a little bit of uh, review from last week. Mark chapter 7, verse 6. Mark 7, 6. And it's a very similar passage in Matthew 15, uh, which we'll look at next. But uh, Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Mark chapter 7, verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah, which is uh, Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied of you hypocrites, as is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is an individual who says, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. And yet their actions are quite contrary. In Matthew 15, verse 8, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. It would be the same as if with my wife if I was to say, I love you, and then yet I never spend any time with her. I love you, but she asked me to do something and I never did it. I love you, uh, and yet I, you know, I can say, I love you, but yet I don't ever treat her well. And that's the case with the Lord many times that we are saying, God, I love you, but our actions, our attention, our focus, our passions don't reflect that love. And some of the things that happen in regards to the forms of hypocrisy is uh, in verse 16, as we read there in Matthew chapter 6, that they fast. And when they're fasting, meaning they're not eating of food, they may not be partaking of water, they're not eating uh, at the least, they're not eating. And so because you're not eating, sometimes you can look 
you know, a little, like, hey, you look a little hungry, right? I'm so hungry, I'm fasting for Jesus. Well, I mean, there's times where you have personal fasting and corporate fasting. We find that in the scriptures. But you're doing it, in, in this regards, in the playing out of piety. They're doing it to say, wow, they're a spiritual person. Now, there's another thing that also can happen in in regards to religious judgment in Matthew chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. I don't want to deal with it too much because I'll deal with it in a sermon uh, and this judge not mentality. But uh, the idea is in Matthew 7, 4 and 5, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Uh, again, so he's speaking, you know, I'm the religiously superior person, and you, you need to work on this in your life. When there is something glaring in your life that needs to be worked on. That's the idea. So he says, first of all, look at your own heart. Lord, is there any known sin? Is there any habit in my life that I ought not to be doing? And if there is, I need to deal with it. Now then I can go to, you know, and, but there is a part that the scriptures do admonish us to go to an erring brother, to return them, to help them, to walk with them. So the, the, the idea here is the Pharisees are more to cast scorn and cast reproach uh, than they are to lift up a brother or sister uh, who are erring. A second, another thing we find in some forms of hypocrisy in Matthew 16, 3, if you want to turn there, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 3, and then we'll, and after that we'll be in verse tw- chapter 22, uh, but Matthew 16, verse 3, some forms of hypocrisy that Jesus mentions. Uh, verse uh, 3, and in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? You know, it's kind of like, uh, I think the saying goes, if I'm wrong, correct me, but uh, red at night, sailor's delight, red in the morning, sailors take warning, or something like that. I guess if the sky is red in the morning, maybe I have it backwards. Anyways, that's the idea. Uh, and so there's an idea, you're looking at the clouds, you can look at that and say, hey, we have a storm coming. Jesus is saying, listen, you guys can discern the sky, you can discern storms coming, and yet you can't discern, uh, you know, who is before you. You can't discern that you have the Son of God with you. They're culturally knowledgeable, but biblically ignorant. They might have a lot of academic knowledge, but it hasn't penetrated the heart. Matthew 22 So as we look at this idea of hypocrisy, there's many different forms. Matthew 22, 17, I just, I went through and I said, where does we find the same word of hypocrite uh, there? And I looked at all of the, uh, where that word in the Greek is used in all the passages. And I looked at it and and, uh, just drawing some truths from that. Here in Matthew chapter 22, verse 17, tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? I mean, they're asking him, Is it, can we pay taxes? <laughs> right? And, um, you know, then he says, Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Uh, then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. So, I mean, he's calling them cultural and spiritual rebels. He says, You guys. Uh, you're just wicked in heart. You're trying to trap me. 
Uh, and, and you're trying to use the, the government, you're trying to use spiritual, your superiority. I mean, you're just all about yourselves, and you're trying to find anything possible to, that you can use to accuse me. And so Jesus calls them hypocrites. He said, you guys are bad actors. Uh, you know what, oftentimes there's a lot of thoughts in our world and churches that Jesus is this loving man, and he was. But he was also not afraid to call out, you know, a spade is a spade. And if he says, hey, you're a hypocrite, I'm going to call you a hypocrite. You know, and, and we find a, a tremendous love here. Let's look at the next passage of Scripture, Matthew 23, uh, verses 13 through 29. A little bit lengthier passage, uh, but it has a lot of, uh, again, a lot of truths here with Jesus. Again, I mean, if there's ever anyone that Jesus is going to be called name-calling, when we think about Jesus, I mean, this culture today, in a lot of these softer churches, Jesus is so loving and caring and compassionate, and we like to look at that part, but we don't want to look at the truth that Jesus, I mean, he's calling these religious leaders hypocrites, vipers, snakes, you name it. I mean, John the Baptist did the same. I mean, they're calling them out. He was like, listen, get rid of your pride. You think you're more than what you really are, and I'm going to deal with you. It's, it's amazing what Jesus did. Uh, so let's look at me, Matthew 23, verse 13. He says, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. The word hypocrite uh, is you're an actor. You're playing a part that you, won't, you aren't really are. For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither... Uh, go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. I mean, they put all these rules and what you need to do to get to God because somehow there's some spiritual authority and so they can have this secret passage to God uh, and so they tell people, this is what God wants for your life. It's much like we have in the Catholic Church. I mean, you need to do these amount of indulgences, you do all this stuff. That's how you'll be right with God. But that's not what God's Word says. He says going on here in verse 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. He says, guess what? Hell's going to be even hotter for you. <sighs> verse 15, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. He says, you do a lot of evangelizing to make a follower. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, people get indoctrinated with false doctrine. And it says here, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than of yourselves. You know, some of the hardest people to win to the Lord Jesus Christ are people that have been steeped in religion, like someone who's Catholic. I mean, if someone is a staunch Catholic and you begin to talk to them about their need for salvation, it's very difficult for them to undo the, the thinking because what the Catholics have done is they take... Uh, terminology that is biblical but they redefine it into their own way that is not biblical and so when you're talking about born again or other things they're thinking that what they think of definitions is is they skew it to fit their religious views again jesus i mean whoa let's look with me again verse 16 woe unto you ye blind guides which say i mean he's saying you guys are blind that word woe, I mean, he's like cursing them. Woe. I mean, woe unto you blind guys would say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he's a debtor. Ye fools and blind. For whether is greater, the gold of the temple that sanctifieth the gold. 
And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Let me just give a little thoughts here. So in verse 13, what these religious people do is they make heaven more difficult to enter through man-made measures. Now, they make it impossible biblically, but in verse 13, they're, they're shutting up the kingdom of heaven because they're saying, if you want to be saved, you need to do all these good works, right? Or if you have a bad life, you need to reform your life. That's not what God says. That's not what Jesus said. Without faith, it's impossible. All you need to get to heaven is faith. It's not these good works, your good works outweighing. So he's calling them hypocrites. Then we find in verse 14, a little bit of recap, spiritual prayers. These religious leaders, they get up, they pontificate. I mean, they give us some little uh, you know, dialogue or, or, or speech or preaching, if they want to call it that. Uh, and they give these prayers, and yet at the same time, they're taking advantage of the poor and the widows and the fatherless. I mean, they're like, wow, he's a spiritual man. Give me your money and I'll make you rich. I mean, it's kind of, again, it's like this health, wealth, and prosperity thing. Verse 15 like the JWs, the Mormons, Catholics, and others in, in, in some areas where they want to give the gospel and you begin to tell people about Christ and they shut you out because they say that's not truth. So these hypocrites, these religious people are making it more difficult for people to understand the true gospel. Verses 16 going on here, 16 through 22 a foolish covenant by making by material goods going on here and whosoever uh, verse um, 19 he fools and blind for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctify the gift whosoever whoso therefore shall swear by the altar sweareth by it and by all things thereon and whoso shall swear by the temple sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein and he that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon so that you're making all these covenants you're making all these covenants upon things of this earth that are material goods and he said you guys are making you know covenants on empty things verse 23 woe these scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law judgment mercy and faith these ought you have done and not to leave the other undone i mean these are uh, they're faithful tithers Man, are they ever harsh on other people. They're unmerciful and they're unfaithful. And Jesus calls them what they are. How many times in this passage, I mean, verse 13, woe, 14, woe, 15, woe, 16, woe. <laughs> I, I, I mean, uh, then we find again in 23. Do you think Jesus is pretty impressed with these religious people and how knowledgeable they are? You would answer no, I, I would assume Verse 24, ye blind guides which strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. I mean, they are one to find the faults of others, but they overlook their sins of themselves. You know, you're, you, know you need to do X amount of Hail Marys or whatever you got to do, certain prayers and all these sorts of things. You know, you need, to, you need to reform your life in this way. You know what? None of us can reform our lives. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind through the word of God. And Jesus says, listen, you are a hypocrite. Going forth from here, verse 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter that the outside of them may be clean also. 
Verse 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You're likened to whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. <laughs> How do you think about this, you know, loving Jesus all the time kind of image that, you know, Hollywood and, and some churches portray? I don't find him very, you know, as you would, as, as the idea of this, you know, hippie type loving Jesus, that's a completely false God. He says, listen, your heart is wicked. God sees our hearts. He says, stop playing the actor. You might put on a good role. I mean, you might win some awards for how well you act. But he says, you're a hypocrite. You're full of pride. You're full of hypocrisy. He says, I don't want any part of it. In verse 28, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. This is an individual that may talk right, but when they're there alone, they're back at home, or they're at their workplace, they may come to church and be like the best Christian at church, but back at home in their workplace, they're someone totally different. They're a Christian, you say? What? I hear the language coming out of their mouth. I hear the, the perverse uh, uh, you know, jokes or other things that may be happening that's hypocrisy. You're playing a part. You may talk right, but at home, angry, undisciplined. The Bible has much to say, and Jesus says, listen, you might look good on the outside, but he says, I know what you look like on the inside. He says, you're full of dead men's bones. He says, you're not even saved. As you think about this, Jesus is trying to call them to a position of listen. It's not about how you appear on the outside. If you're not on the inside, what you look like on the outside, you're a hypocrite. That's what he's telling us. And so as we think about this idea of hypocrisy, the emptiness of hypocrisy, he says, I don't care how much people praise you and how much people, you know, it's kind of like, uh, again, uh, I think about it sometimes the Catholics and others, you know, I'm and the person might say, Father so-and-so. Now, we're not to call anyone Father, as the Scriptures in Matthew have told us. Uh, and, uh, but there's all this reverence for a man above Jesus Christ. That is ungodly. That's what these men are doing. They're trying to elevate themselves up, push themselves up. In Luke chapter 13, verse 15. Well, actually, uh, Luke chapter 11. It's a little bit uh, picking up here, kind of a parallel passage on this. But I want a wonderful thing here that Jesus is telling us. He said, we ought to be on the inside what we look like on the outside. Now, I understand we're all in a sanctification process. Sanctification is that I'm trying to daily become more like Christ. You know what? We're all rough. And, and there's times in our lives where we've gone down paths, and, and I understand, you know, uh, it might be in our own lives where maybe we've struggled with something or language or other in our thought processes and you think, I can never measure up. That's okay. That's a good starting place because you're saying, I can't measure up, so I need Jesus to help me and it's that daily process. If all we're saying is someone comes in here and, and uh, they're looking all rough and uh, maybe they're in a lifestyle that is uh, uh, un, you know, unbiblical and, and we're saying, well, you're unbiblical. We don't want you here. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying I don't want to help you. 
And the Pharisees were so quick to look at lifestyles and stuff, but the Bible says, how can I help them? You know, <laughs> rather than looking on what's going on, I need to see, hey, do they know Jesus? I had this discussion even today with someone. Uh, this morning as I was talking, I said, uh, you know, someone who might even be in a homosexual lifestyle, if they can't come in here and, and receive truth, we're like, ah, get away, leave, gone. And yet I can't show Christ's love. Why would they ever listen to me? If all it is, you know, Jesus was light on those. I mean, the woman uh, who wiped his feet, he continued to speak well of. He says, your sins are forgiven. She was known as a prostitute. And yet she came to faith in Christ. And he was very compassionate with her. But he was harsh against the religious people who wanted to take people and make it harder for them to see that Jesus was who he said he was. Those are whom Jesus preached against. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. But woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you Pharisees, for ye love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto master, thus saying, Thou reproached us also, and he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touched not the burdens with one of your fingers. <laughs> I mean, he said, Oh, I missed a lawyer. Okay, I'll say, Woe unto you lawyers too. I mean, it's kind of like, don't ask a question. He's saying, You're wrong. You're in the wrong. He, and he says to the lawyers, He says, Listen, you tell people all these rules that they need to do in their life. He said, You create such a heavy burden on people that they don't want the things of God. I mean, it is just so burdensome. I'll never measure up. I, 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 you know, sometimes I struggle in certain things in my life, and oh man, if I go to church, and oh, people are going to see me, huh? So I don't want to go there. I, it's just too heavy. Jesus is saying, listen, I want to do something with you. I want to help you, but these Pharisees, they're saying, you'll never measure up. You're not as good as us puff themselves up and it puts down God and it makes God much more difficult to see because they don't realize that God can take the brokenness. I mean, God took David who committed adultery. He took Abraham who went into his concubine and had another child. Uh, you take Isaac, uh, you know, who would have a favorite son and that cr created division in the family. You have uh, Jacob himself, uh, uh, Jacob swindled his brother. Uh, you know, Jake, I mean, they, all the, many of the characters in the Bible, they were kind of rascals. And yet God still used them. And rather than putting all these rules, 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 rules. You know, in a relationship, if my daughter, if I just put a ton of rules on her, but she doesn't know I love her, she doesn't know the reason for the rules, all those rules will be is a form to say, hey, I'm going to rebel against it. If we don't understand, our if we don't have a relationship with God, it doesn't matter how much, and, and there are things that God wants us to do, but if I don't understand, that's why on Sunday mornings I've been dealing with these biblical foundations, because as we dealt with certain things in our lives, if I don't understand who God is in my relationship with Him, all these rules will do is say, 
all that church is, it's legalistic, and it's all sorts of adjectives will come with that. But if I understand God, I understand his heart, I understand as Jesus is here saying, listen, he says, when you're doing your alms and you're doing your prayers and you're doing your fasting, he says, you're not doing it that men may see how great you are. You're not doing these rules so that people would bow down and worship you and reverence you. He says, you're doing it for the glory of God. You want people to see how wonderful God is. All the religious people would do is know how to just come down hard and scrutinize others. And that is not of God. Now I understand there does need to be a standards of holiness that God's called us to. And that's why there's a discernment to realize where each person is at spiritually. When Jesus was at the well there at the Samaritan woman, he says, listen, you've had five husbands. The man you're currently with, he's not your husband. Uh, you know, and, and Jesus could have said, oh, she's too dirty. I, don't, I mean, she's just made a mess out of her life. I'm not touching her. And yet that was a woman with whom Christ said, I must needs go through Samaria. He didn't push her away. He reached her. And her testimony would reach, a, would reach into Samaria and many others would believe. The hypocrisy of trying to be on the outside of what I'm not on the inside. In Luke 13, 15, it would talk about, The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? He says, you know, and... and they were quick to find fault because, oh, Jesus, he defied tradition. <gasps> he healed on the Sabbath day? That's literally Luke 13, 15. Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. Did you? Oh, he's a Sabbath breaker. He can't be the Son of God. Jesus says, listen. He says, listen, if you have an, if you have an animal, a livestock, an ox or a donkey or anything like that, and, and it gets away, you're going to go bring him back to the stall. You don't want it to be out all night and potentially have to go into the, uh, uh, you know, get the wolves or something else to eat them, you're going to go get them. And one of the things that happens in hi- hypocritical religion is Matthew 24, 51 tells us. You can turn there, Matthew 24, 51. I want you to notice the position of where a hypocrite goes at the end of life. And shall cut him asunder. Uh, verse 50. The Lord of that, Matthew 24, 50. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him. In an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an amazing thing. He says, listen. There's a place in hell for the hypocrite. Now, if you're a Christian, you can't go to hell. But, and Jesus is speaking to people who have their religion, but they don't have faith in Christ. He says, listen, you don't know me. You don't even know me. It is foolishness in being a hypocrite. A little illustration for you. An atheist was walking through the woods admiring all the accidents that evolution had created. What majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals, he said to himself. As he was walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind him. Turning to look, he saw a seven-foot grizzly bear charging toward him. He ran away as fast as he could up the path. 
He looked over his shoulder and saw the grizzly was closing. Somehow he ran even faster, so scared that tears came to his eyes. He looked again, and the bear was even closer. His heart was pounding, and he tried to run faster. He tripped and fell to the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up. But the bear was right up over him. Reaching for him with its left paw and raising its right paw to strike him. At that instant, the atheist cried, Oh, God, help! Time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. Even the river stopped moving as a bright light shone upon the man. A voice came out of the sky. Obviously, this is not true. You deny my existence for all these years, teach others that I don't exist, and even credit creation to a cosmic accident. Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to count you as a believer? The atheist looked directly into the light and said, I would feel like a hypocrite to become a Christian after all these years. But perhaps you could make the bear a Christian. Very well, said the voice. The light went out, the river ran, the sounds of the forest resumed, then the bear dropped his right paw, brought both paws together, bowed his head and spoke, Lord, for this food which I am about to receive, I am truly thankful. Obviously not a true story, but the idea here, right, is that I can't be a hypocrite to put my faith in Christ. And You know, that's what hypocrisy does. It makes us look pretty foolish. But one of the things that happens if we serve the Lord in, in true genuineness, the Bible tells us, look at me, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. What happens if rather than being a hypocrite, I serve the Lord? Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Luke 6, 38. What happens if rather than being a hypocrite as the Pharisees, Sadducees, lawyers, and scribes, uh, what if I have a service for God that is genuine? I want you to notice with me what the Lord says. Give, and it shall be given you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now just before this, he says, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. And the continuation of that, that's 37 and 38 is the continuation. But he says, listen, uh, you know, there's a reward for your giving. There's a reward if you're willing to forgive what other men have done to you. He says, if you give forgiveness, it will be forgiven. You will be forgiven. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> there's blessings that come in being right with God and doing right service. So 37 and 38 is the whole context of that. But uh, he says, listen, you know, the Pharisees were quick to judge, quick to to uh, scrutinize others' lives. Now, what we also find in 2 Corinthians 9, 10, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Understand this, if I'm serving the Lord in the genuineness of my heart, not in hypocrisy, not for what I can get from others, but I'm doing it because I want to honor Christ, then God says, listen, You'll have fruit and you'll abound, overflowing, and I will be with you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 says, For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. You know what? There's no reward for just loving your friends. The part of, the par the part of being a disciple of Christ is to love those who are not even your friends. There's also rewards that the Bible talks about. He says, What reward have ye? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, it talks about caring for young believers and receiving them. Uh, and whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of the disciple, verily I say to you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. There is over and over and over again in the scriptures this idea of reward. Well, what reward could be better than heaven? When we get to heaven, it's how have you lived your Christian life? You see, your works receive rewards. Matthew 16, 27. Look with me here at Matthew 16, uh, 27. 
So when Jesus is saying, he says to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, you have the praises of men. That's what you desire. That's all you get. You will have no praises from God. But in Matthew 16, 27, when he's talking, they have their reward. He's, but what, means, what there's also meaning is that if you're not doing it for the praises of men, for people to pat you on the back and say, attaboy, but you're doing because God wants you. Now, it might so happen that people do give you congratulations for a job, and, and at the same time, you just, you know, you, you say, well, praise the Lord. God help me. You know, it's not about me, and, and you just, it's not, I mean, if someone does give you an attaboy, you just say, well, praise the Lord. He's the one that, you know. And so you're deferring that praises back to the one with whom the praises belong. In Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then, shall, then he shall reward every man according to his works. Here's a believer that in their life, someday we're going to have to stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. There's two judgments in heaven. There's one for Christians and one for non-Christians. Now, you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose that which you didn't purchase in the first place. You can't lose that which Jesus said, I'm securing for you, okay? Romans chapter 8 is pretty clear on that. But the Christians are judged on our works because there is rewards, there's crowns that we will get for how we've lived our Christian life. Have I been obedient? Have I been faithful to the Lord? Have I loved the Lord Jesus? Have I told people about Christ? There are rewards, he also talks about, in 1 Timothy 5.10, about a widow uh, who, uh, she diligently followed every good work. A widow within the church. I mean, this is just a widow. Maybe she lost her husband. Uh, her children are, are gone. Or, uh, and, and she was just, I mean, she poured her heart in, but she got to a point that she needed help. And, and the Bible tells us that we as a church have an obligation to take care of her. We also understand in Hebrews 5, 9, and being made perfect, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. There is rewards of Christ's service to those who are faithful. In Hebrews 6, 10, for God is not unrighteous. But look with me here, Hebrews 6, 10. We're getting close to, to finishing it up. I've just got a few more points to talk about crowns. But I, I want us to understand that, you know, it's kind of like this idea of crowns and rewards. Let me, let me say you're on a hockey team, and you're playing, and the coach says, how were they as a player? They were good. Okay. But then there's, a, there's one of those players, they're on the team, right? We're all on the team. We're all hockey players. We're all on a team. Just think about it from that analogy. And, and I mean, you're out there, you're doing the drills, you're coming to games on time. But you know what, sometimes on a team, I mean, there's a person, I mean, they're there a half hour early, they're there an hour late, man, they're just doing all the skills, they're learning the puck skills, I mean, they're just continually improving. Coach, what can I do to improve? Coach, uh, what can I do in this game? Uh, and, and then they're like, hey, come on, let's root on our, you know, let's root on our, our, our fellow players, and hey, good job, hey, I know you missed that one, why are you feeling so low today, is there anything I can do? You know, there's sometimes those people on the team, I mean, they're above and beyond you're like, wow, that's, an, that's a person I want. Maybe they're not the best hockey player, but they have an attitude. They have a good work ethic. They're diligent. Uh, they, they're a team player. They know how to work all together. You know what that takes? It's going to draw the attention of the coach saying, man, that's a player I want on my team. They may not be the best. They may not have the highest score, but that person's a team player, and they unite our team. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll say, you know what, sometimes there's awards that are given. You know, at the end of the season, they'll say, you know what, there was the best team sport, team player, the best esprit de corps, whatever you want to call it. And God's saying, listen, there's some believers that are not just trying to go through their Christian life just to make it. They're going through because they want the whole team to work together. Their mission is, I want to win games, I want to get the trophy, and though we may not have a, 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 may not win, we're going to have good sports we're going to encourage one another we're going to be there for one another and we're going to help improve one another to move forward so that next year when we come back to play that we can be a better team that's the idea of awards here if you want to think about it or rewards in hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 for god is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name that you have ministered the saints and do minister several things he says your work and labor of love he says listen you've lived your christian life and you've labored for it you've labored for my name you've ministered to the saints you've ministered to others god's not going to forget it it's like that team player and they went above and beyond you know what that if that student or that, t- that hockey player was to come back, say, coach, I need a job and I need a reference. Would you give me a reference? Oh, absolutely. I'll give you a stellar reference. When God, someday, and I'm saying, God, I want a reference before you on how I've lived my life, he'll say, well done. You've lived your life well. There's several crowns that we can get. The, the, what the, the Pharisees were doing It's kind of like a hockey player. I mean, they're like the one that wants to be on the team. They want that final puck shot. And kind of like, or in basketball, they're the ball hog. They want that final score. They want the crowds to go, woo-hoo! I mean, but they're a complete jerk when they're back with their team on the, the stand. They're kind of like, yeah, they might be good, but I don't want them on my team. They just create dissension, and they're caustic, and, and all of that. I mean, it's a person all for themselves. It's not a fun person to play with. But I'm not doing it just to get the fans excited. I'm doing it that I can make my coach, I can make my savior say, hey, he's the real deal. He's not just showboating. In Colossians chapter 9, verse 25, look with me here. Colossians 9, 25. That's incorrect, excuse me, there is no Colossians. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's try this one. 1 Corinthians 9.25, Colossians, it says Corinthians, I didn't put first or second there. Anyways, 1 Corinthians 9.25, let's try that again. Uh, Verse 25, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Why do I serve in the church? And why do I do what I do within the church? It's not for a paycheck. It's not just to, for people to say, hey, look at him. You know what? The obligation, and I hope, sometimes there are in the fleshliness of my own heart, and God has to work on the pride, but I'm doing it 
because someday I'm going to get an incorruptible crown. You might be a king and sit on a throne today on this earth, and that crown will corrupt. It will rust and decay over time, given the elements. The Bible tells us in James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. If you say no to temptations, because no to myself, no to the temptation of whatever the vice or addiction or thing is, that you say no to that, Jesus, I love you more. God says, listen, I'm going to give you a crown of life. So when I get to heaven someday, he says, here's a believer that said no to their flesh, no to what they wanted, and they said yes to me. He says, I'm going to give you a crown of life. And you know what I can do with that crown? Out of the appreciation for my Savior, I can take that crown off, and I can throw it at the feet of my Savior. I can set it before him and say, Jesus, this is yours. I will have earned it because God helped me, and I'll have an opportunity to give back to him. In, in glory. 1 Peter 5, 3 and 4 tells us, not as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. He's saying, Pastor, you are to be an example. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory. Pastors will get a crown of glory. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. He says, listen, you need to be careful how you live your life. Your crowns can be gained or lost. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you can, you know, sometimes a, a hockey player or a basketball player, or someone can get an award and, and they say, this isn't, I really don't deserve this. Now they may, because they've gone through, and the, the team says, wow. And, and then the team player says, coach, you've been such a mentor to me. I'd like to give you, the, I'd like to give this back to you. Someday. I can take my crown of how I live my life if I earn them. Now, I'm not losing. It's not that I'm not going to heaven. We're all, if you're saved, if you're saved, you know, Jesus Christ, you're a personal savior, you're going to heaven. But it's when I get up into glory and I stand before my Father, I stand before my Savior, and I have the opportunity. And he says, well done. He gives me my crown for how I've lived my life. The privilege will be, if we've lived our life righteously for Him, that I can kneel and I can give it back. That's a great privilege. But if you live as a hypocrite, you'll never have that opportunity. And the Bible tells us, look with me at Revelation 5.10 before I, come, before I close this out. Revelation 5.10 and Revelation 20, verse 6. If I'm only doing it just as to be seen as some religious man, holy man, whatever they want to say. I've had some people call me father. The only one I'm really a father to is my daughter. So, <laughs> other than that, I'm not a father to anyone. And I'm not to be called father. I'm daddy to my daughter. Because I don't want to take away from him who deserves it. Romans 5.10 And hath made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Think about this. During the 1,000 year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ if you have lived faithfully for Christ now you live, you've lived in a way you know what? It doesn't matter how you start your Christian life. You might say, man, my life I, 
I got a lot of things to pick up and move. You know what? That's okay. That's a starting place. You don't need to stay there, though. You can grow. You can move forward. He says, you'll be kings and priests with me in that millennium. You'll be able to reign with Jesus as the full, <laughs> full authority on earth. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. And I'll come to the conclusion. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. The first resurrection is I die and I go to heaven, or uh, you know, we rapture into heaven on such that the second death hath no power. The second death, we all die once. We're all going to die once, if, unless Jesus comes. But we're dead to it. We're dead to Christ, right? That's think about it. The second death is death and hell forever. That's what the second death is referring to. I don't have to go to hell if I'm a Christian. But it says here, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Listen, Jesus is going to be the one world ruler someday in the millennial reign after the seven year tribulation. What is next? This goes down a whole long prophetic series. We don't have time for that tonight. But understand this, if we've lived our life for Christ now, we're not living in hypocrisy. We're not living for the praises of men. We're living that Jesus gets the praise and the glory and the blessing and the honor that he so rightly deserves. He says, listen, you'll rule and reign with me. We could be mayors and governors and presidents or whatever that God desires when Jesus is on the throne. And that's what he's telling us here. He says, stop being a hypocrite. In conclusion, the warnings that Jesus gives are to cause us to gain all of the promises. Jesus says, I want to give you more rewards. I want to open that bank account, and I want to give you all that I promised you. But if you go into the air and the false ways of the religious crowds, and you go into the air of unbiblical preaching, you're going to miss out. 2 John chapter, verses 7-9, through 9, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And every one of our actions will be judged. The Bible tells us, Romans 14, 11, for, as it is, for it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. How are you living your life right now? If what you put on in the airs here at church is not what you're at home, then you know what? We need to do some work. We need God to work on us. I need God to work on me. And what I ought to do, look at Romans 14, and I'm done. I mean, Jesus picks on the religious bullies <laughs> and he calls them what they are, hypocrites, vipers. And he's not very nice to them. He says, you hurt my people, I'm against you. In Romans 14, 7 through 9, for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For, the, for to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. I'm living for his glory. The, the emptiness of hypocrisy is you only have 
a reward that will flee away. It's just like paper that gets burned up quickly and it's gone. But if I'm living my life for Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter where you start or how rough we start, what matters is the objective of my heart. Lord, I want to please you. Please help change me. And he will. So as we come to the time of invitation this evening with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there is hypocrisy in our heart that God is pointing at, I trust that you would just ask God to help you to change. You'd stop trying to please others, stop trying to put on the airs of what we're not, and instead do it all for Jesus' glory. We don't live for ourselves. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you were to die today, and you're watching, and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, and you're trying to go through religion, trying to do good enough, you'll never be enough. Because you can't. Because Jesus did it all. In simple faith, you call out to God and ask to forgive you and be your Savior. He'll forgive you. And Christian, may we understand the emptiness of hypocrisy. When you're done praying, feel free to look up and I'll conclude us in prayer this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, for helping us to see past, Lord, just the facade of empty religion. So many people are going to churches and they're trying to be good enough. They're trying to have their good works outweigh their bad works, but Lord, they feel so empty and the fact is, Lord, they're denying you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as believers to be the real deal. Help us to stop putting on what we're not and to realize the errors of our ways and to make right what needs to be made right. Father, that it's not about the rules, it's about the relationship and God, as we walk with you, you change us. You change our heart. You change our minds. Lord, maybe that be true in our lives. Father, I yield tonight to thee. I love you and thank you. Give us a wonderful evening. Give us a great week. I pray for safety. Father, for the guest preacher next weekend. And Lord, may we not be hypocrites, but Lord, may we have the crowns because of a life lived for your glory. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.